This morning we are going to continue in our study of the book of Colossians. If you'd turn there, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Colossians, where we've been going. If this, you know, if, to bring you up to speed on our study. So, what does BC mean? And AD, you, know, you can change it to mean whatever you want, right? Um, but the, in history, it kind of we we mark time, the birth of Christ and you know, before Christ and after his birth and uh, kind of in there, and we kind of do that. That's just the world history. There's also our history, right? We can talk about that too. We can talk about life before Christ, life before I had a relationship with him, and life after I had a relationship with him. Uh, that's if you look at the book of Colossians, Colossians, and we sang a, a, a song that talked about all the gods of the world. And the interesting thing is there's more than one God of the world, right? It's kind of hard to talk about sometimes, especially when you're in church and you're, you've, maybe you've been here a long time. And uh, I ask you a question like that and you say, no, no, there's only one God. Uh, no, there's many gods. There's many gods. Uh, that there's all kinds of different gods. In fact, people worship all kinds of different gods. Uh, But the Bible talks about Jesus being the one true God. And I realize that's uh, difficult for us to come to grips with. But that's not even what it talks about in the book of Colossians that we've been going through. It's not talking about Jesus being the only way, but it's talking about Jesus being the superior way, the superior way. And some of you go, yeah, Jesus is superior. Of course he is, because I worship him. It wasn't because you were smart enough. I just want to tell you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it wasn't because you were smart enough, because many of you tried those other gods before, right? It was trial and error for some of you, right? And there were plenty of errors. But what I want to tell you this morning, as we look at the book of Colossians, and we're in chapter 4, and it comes to the end, and you kind of get... All this is based upon that Jesus is superior, not because we said he is or because we want him to be, but because of who he is, who he is. Um, It's interesting. Most of you know I follow baseball and um, it's good times for me right now. It's good times because I'm a Red Sox fan uh, and they're tied for first with some other team, no name team that you can't even remember. Right, Mark Jividen? That other team from New York. Even better. Makes it even better. I don't really like the Dodgers. And they're not doing very good this season. They've got all kinds of problems, and I can tease my son about that. So uh, it, it's good times in our household. But how do, you know, how do you know who the best team is? Their standings, right? And it doesn't matter what our affections in our own heart are. Uh, you know, you can be like a Royals fan or something like that. But check the standings. They haven't done very well for a very long time. Okay? You can look at your favorite team and you could say, I have an affection for them. But if you check the standings, you'll see the reality of whether they are the best or not. And what Colossians seeks to do as we look at it is to present the superiority of Jesus Christ. And so that we would not follow out of mere affection of, you know, we've tried all the others, let's try this one now. But that we would see who Jesus is and follow after him, the one of the scriptures. So now we come to chapter four and he's talking about different ways that Jesus, him being the one that is in us and the one who has saved us, changes us. I want to... I don't know if uh, you remember, there used to be a toy. I don't know if they still have them now, but Transformers. Transformers, you know what that is? It's it's totally, yeah, it's for a train. Different kind, different kind. Uh, There were these toys that you played with, and all of a sudden you pulled this and you did this, and they became something totally different. And so sometimes we think that that's what happens when we come to know Christ. It's not true. It's not true. It's all interior stuff. It's stuff of our heart that changes. 
And I want to tell you, the change that comes about from knowing Jesus Christ is not a small one, okay? It's at least a heart transplant, if not more than that, okay? And so now as we come to the book of Colossians, we've been described the superiority of Jesus Christ. We've understood that change is going to come about as we have relationship with him. And this is part of that, what we're going to share this morning as we look at chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you verses 2 through 6. You can follow along in your own Bibles. It may be a little bit different. Uh, different translations translate the same word, just a touch different. Uh, we would read it in Greek, but that wouldn't help any of us for the most part. Verse 2 says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it and with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, to conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. God, we ask your direction from your Holy Spirit to us now uh, that you would work in us, that we might know the truth and that you would change us. I thank you for Jesus and what he did for us. And we ask that uh, we would be faithful followers of Christ and that we would be transformed by the good gospel that he has given us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. last verse we looked at last week uh, is one of the gospel. And in verse, actually, 3 and 4, Paul asks for prayer that God would open the door for the message of the Word. And, and what that tells us, and I want you to get this, this is not just information. This isn't math, okay? This isn't just math or just a history book where you read it and you understand dates and times and places and you get the right answer. This is a message that is meant to hit the hearts of people in such a way where it changes them. And what Paul was praying for was he was saying that, you had, that God would go before him and open the door to cities and towns and people's hearts that they might be changed by the message of Jesus. He prays for that and he asks for prayer for that, that he might be effective as he goes out. And now as we look at verses 5 and 6, he turns to every individual that knows Jesus Christ. Everyone who has followed after Christ and he says, I want to tell you something about the way you are to live. Look down at verse 5. It says, conduct yourselves wisely. Or in other translations, walk wisely. The idea of walking. And I shared this with you before. It's a very common New Testament picture of walking. Walking. And it's really simply why. Why, why would it be walking throughout like the picture of living? Why would it be walking? Well, because they walked everywhere. It was a culture where they walked and they walked and they walked. In fact, how many of you have been to New York City? walked, didn't you? You walked quite a bit. In fact, uh, if you're from, you know, any place that I've ever lived, you get there and you kind of stand there for a minute and you're like, whoa, where are all these people going? And they're focused, right? They're either on their way someplace and they, you know, they don't necessarily stop for stop signs and lights. They cruise across streets. Everyone, it's walking and it's mass people. It's the way they live. And even to a greater degree, to a greater degree, the times of biblical times where they walked everywhere. It's a great picture. Um, standing, what are you doing when you're standing? Not much, you're just standing there. When you're sitting, even less, right? Running, no one runs all day long. In fact, some of you try it. Uh, you try to run all day long and your life is chaotic because of it, right? The normal pace of life is the idea of walking. It's the idea of walking. I, I think it's interesting too that for the most part, if you kind of know where you're going, you don't think about walking. You don't go, 
Okay. Is it the right foot next or is it the left? Let me think. I'm going to go with the right. I'm going to go with the right. Uh, what now? Is it the right again? Like, how do I do this? Walking isn't like that. It's, it's kind of the idea of a, uh, of a habit. You're going in a general direction. You know how to do it. But he's saying, I want you to think about the way you are living, the conduct that you are about. And it needs to be a certain way as you look down at verse 5. Conduct yourselves wisely. May this walk that you live, the habits, the regular interactions of your life, may they be marked by wisdom, by wisdom. Uh, Obvious, this is kind of obvious, isn't it? If you don't walk wisely, what happens? What happens? Get in trouble. You go the wrong way. You step where you shouldn't step. You, uh, there's all kinds of dangers out there. In fact, uh, most of us who are older, we have, um, we have uh, spoke to younger people. Uh, we have scolded them. We have lectured them. We have said, you need to make good decisions because you, if you don't act wisely, you're going to go and, you know, and, and, you know, the Charlie Brown parent thing goes on and, you know, and, uh, and yet, as you look at this passage, this is not for young, this is not a passage for young people. It's not a passage for those, who, you know, who are in middle school. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. And, and he, he brings to us, he says, conduct yourselves wisely. It's being opposed to living recklessly and the way you go about your life of not caring where you're stepping, what you're doing, how you're getting there. And it's obvious why. If you would think about walking, uh, let me just ask this question. Have any of you ever on the freeway or on the road or anything made a wrong turn? Made a wrong turn. Most of us don't care about wrong turns when we're in a car. You know, I remember as we lived up in the Bay Area, there was a beautiful area west of our home. And it was uh, uh, vineyards and dairy farms, and eventually you'd get to the ocean. And so quite a few times we'd get in the car and we'd just start driving. We'd just start driving. And I'd turn every once in a while. I'd just turn, you know. And you say, where are we going? I don't know. We're just driving, you know. I know the ocean's right there, the freeway's over there, and I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm somewhere in the middle. And eventually I'll be okay, you know. I bump into a little town here and drive up the coast here. It was no big deal. It was it was great fun. And it would get dark, and eventually I'd turn the other way, and I'd say, once I see something I recognize, I'll kind of know where I am. That's not good to do when you're walking, <laughs> That's not good to do when you're walking because there's a sense in which every footstep matters. And, and what he's sharing with you, he says, when it comes to your life, this is not just some random events that you kind of bump and just go wherever. If you've been changed by Jesus Christ, you have a purpose. There's, there's a place. That you're, you're going somewhere. And so he says, we're not about being reckless and just going wherever the wind blows us. I want to point out something here. Uh, It's very important for us to see. This is in the context of outsiders. Outsiders. Okay? Um, And who are the outsiders? If you think through this passage, what do you think that is? Outsiders. So there must be insiders too, right? Insiders and outsiders. It's the opposite of. Okay? So if the insiders are the ones that are addressed, those would be the people who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who are going about this transformation on the outside that is going about in their everyday life. He says, this wise living, this wise walking, if you will, is towards outsiders. Now let's talk about outsiders for a minute. Um, I think it's best to look at this in the context of the family of God, the family of God. Uh, I went to SeaWorld this week. Uh, it was great fun. It was great fun to go to SeaWorld. Uh, and I learned at the Shamu exhibit, um, where we were watching these huge whales bounce around and everything, 
and there was music playing and songs and these people were talking and they were saying, we are at one with the ocean and with Shamu. And I was like going, yeah, I look a lot. Wait a minute. I'm different than Shamu. I've been in the ocean before, but I don't live in the ocean. And Shamu, you know, I've been called names before. But uh, other than that, we're different. We're different. And, and there's, a, there's a difficulty here, and I, I, want, I want us to get it this morning. It's very important that as the Scripture talks about believers in Jesus Christ, it talks about it as different from those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Okay? There's a difference there. But I want to make this one distinction. Uh, most of the time when you hear these terms of inside and outside, it's like a secret club a secret club or like a country club or something and or maybe a, a thing you somehow need to get voted into or voted out of and uh, you get this picture like you know I've wanted to be inside but they've kept me on the outside that is not the picture this morning I want you to see everyone everyone who's here everyone is not here too but we'll just deal with you you first that that this, if this is considered the family of God and he speaks to those, he says, I'm talking to you who are inside the family of God, that you should treat outsiders, those who are outside the family of God in a specific way. That none of us, first of all, none of us should say, I'm on the inside. I'm special. In fact, I'm not just special, I'm awesome. Because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I have all these privileges and there are, there are great benefits. And if you're not a part of the family of God here today and you hear this message and you say, oh, they're talking about me, I'm on the outside. I want you to understand that this passage is not about you being excluded from the family of God, but that ultimately that you would have entrance into the family of God. Not because we checked you at the door. This group checked you at the door and said, yeah, you can come on in. You said the right word. You had the right lingo. It's that you understood the attractiveness of Jesus Christ, that you need him. And you just come and be a part of us. And we gather around that. It's not because any of us is great, but because we serve a God who is truly great. Jesus Christ. You look at this passage and he says, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. The idea of this making the best use of the time, it's the idea of uh, literally to buy the time back or buy it, buy it from you. It's kind of a purchase of commodities type thing. If you can imagine us going to a commodities auction and there's a big pile of corn right there. And I inspect it and I find it to be good. And the auction begins and I'm like, I'll pay that. I'm a buyer. And the price goes up. I'll buy it again because I, I want that. That is something I have found valuable. And if I'm a buyer of that pile of corn, if I'm one, I see it as valuable and I, I, I hand out my money because I want it. I want it. I find it to be valuable. This morning, uh, what we're looking at is your time, the time of your life, the time you're walking. And he says, you're to live wisely in such a way as you being a buyer of time, making the most use of that time, uh, being one who sees that as valuable, as opposed to what? as opposed to someone who is wasting time, wasting time. Let's be honest. Um, as I think about uh, our days, there's many days I don't think are all that important. I wake up in the morning and Rebecca will ask that question. So what do you got going today? And I go, I don't know. Can't think of anything really all that important that I'm going to do. Uh, you know, maybe I got a list of things, but I, I go, all these things can wait till tomorrow. There's no big appointments. There's no nothing going on. I, I can't really see where this day would be all that important. It's kind of like 
walking, right? What does this step matter? Or this step? Or, or what about this path? Or how do I know that this is all that important? And, and yet the scripture says, look, conduct yourself wisely towards outside, making the most of the time. Making the most of the time. You know what? In all of us here are commercials for various things. Or maybe we're infomercials. I don't know. Commercials, infomercials, whatever you want to call it. Uh, did you know that you're a, a commercial for your company that you work for? If I find out um, where you work and you say, yeah, I work, I'm a, I'm a teacher at this school or I work for this company, I, I, I'm a fireman and I work for this county or that city and this is where I work and I'm at this station. And if I thought to ask you, maybe I was thinking about getting a job and maybe it was with your company and maybe I didn't like you. Okay, and I think, ooh, ooh, I'm going to get a job and they work there. Maybe I don't want a job there. Would I have to work with you? In fact, you complain all the time and you're complaining about your job. Maybe it's not a good place to work. Maybe I wouldn't like it there because you're showing to me what it looks like to work there to be a part of that. See, we're a commercial. Students. Uh, you know, you're a commercial for your school, right? You're commercial. You, you might, uh, uh, college students especially, they're always proud. They get their, sh- their sweat shirts that say the name of their school. And so as, you know, I have younger kids and we dream of going to college someday and uh, we might talk about one college or another, the college you go to. And um, I might say, you might say, well, what about this college? And I say, oh, no, that one won't do. That's horrible. Why? Do you know who goes there? you know who goes there? And they, oh, no. See, they're not very smart. I don't like them very much. They have a bad attitude. Oh, I don't want to go there. I'll be just like them. You see, we're a commercial. We're a commercial, either good or bad. Uh, other things, too, right? Um, I know I'm getting a little off subject here, but while I'm talking about these things, might as well, right? How about for marriage? How about for marriage? We've got a lot of single people here today. Um, those of us who are married, guess what? We're a commercial for marriage. We're either a good commercial or a bad commercial. Uh, as we talk about marriage and how it is, if we're complaining about how hard it is and how awful it is, and uh, if we do about that, guess what the young people around us are thinking? I don't want to get married. I don't want any part of that. Because why would I ruin my life as they have already? I don't want any part of that. Maybe for kids having kids too. As you hear parents talk about their kids and they go, oh, you know, I haven't slept in two weeks and the baby wakes me up all the time. and Oh, I just can't stand it. And, you know, now, you know, now I have kids in elementary school and they're bratty all the time. And, and then middle school, I don't even need to talk about that because that's so horrible. And a high schooler, ah, I don't want, you know, you know what people hear? Don't have kids because they're listening to the commercial. This morning, um, this passage talks about careful communication, careful communication, and not just simply carefully communicating when the spotlight is on you. But in the midst of this everyday kind of walking toward a sort of existence, you know, it, it's easy it, when someone puts the spotlight on you to say, now is the time I have to have a good answer. Now is the time where I'm supposed to say something smart. But the picture here is not about when the spotlight is on you. It's in the midst of everyday living. And he says, conduct yourselves wisely. Walk wisely, making the best towards these outside, making the best use of the time, being that buyer and not a seller. That's how we live. And then he takes in verse 6 a one specific area, probably the most telling area of our lives. It's how we speak. It's what we say. It's our interactions or our verbal communication. You look at verse 6, it says this. Let your speech 
always be gracious. How's that? How's that one hit you? Let your speech always be gracious. Let's close in a word of prayer. Uh, Let's be done there, right? Let your speech always be gracious. When you hear that word gracious, um, everybody kind of knows what that means. You can hear it in many different uh, venues. People talk about that all the time. Being gracious is the idea of being kind or or gentle with your words. It's the idea of, of being nice and someone who's sweet and someone who's gentle. And yet, what is the, where are we? Where did we find this word gracious? Chapter 4, right? Chapter 4 of what? Book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, which is speaking about Jesus. And I want you to get this this morning. I think it's really important. The context of what we're reading here, God inspired Paul to write this, and he wrote a specific book about Jesus, okay, about the superiority of Christ, about the change that will happen. And then he says, in the midst of that, he says, let your speech be gracious. Do you think he's just talking about being nice? I don't think he is. I think what he's talking about is having the gospel be the, the, the thing that comes out of your mouth, the gospel. Let me explain that. First of all, when you hear me say the word gospel, um, some of you think of music, gospel music. But the word gospel means good news. And it refers to, it refers to the message of Jesus, that Jesus came for sinners like you and me, that Jesus came for sinners like us, he came for people who defended him, who thought dirty thoughts and done dirty things and lied and stolen and cheated or filled, filled with pride. Have I left anybody out? I don't think I have. Um, the, he, he came, Jesus came and died for sinners like us, that believing in him, that we might be freed from our sins, have life eternal, and we, we might be in relationship with the Father through the Son. The gospel... And one of the words of the gospel that I love so much is grace, is grace. Is the idea that we receive who Jesus is, not because we've been good enough. And I'm really glad, I'm really glad, because none of us have been good enough, none of us. And, and so we receive this grace and, grace. and so in the midst of talking about Jesus, he says, be gracious in your speech. It connects for us that we would be speaking the gospel, that the gospel would impact the words that we share. That because of what Jesus has done in us, we might speak differently. I want to show you something here. Um, doesn't have anything to do. Do you remember, we talked maybe a couple months ago with uh, some of the things that we believe Jesus wants our church to be about. Some of you already made this connection. And you said, oh yeah, we believe Jesus wants us to be a gracious church. A gracious church. A church that is marked by kindness in our words that comes from Jesus Christ. It's modeled after how he, Jesus acted when he dealt with people, as he dealt with children, as he dealt with people who were disagreeable to him. We want to model that. And here it is right in the passage. Gracious speech. Gracious speech. It's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting that as we understand who Jesus wants us to be, and by the way, I want to be this too. It's not just Jesus is saying, you know, hey, we want Bear Valley Church to be a gracious church, but I want to be known like that, don't you? I want people in the community, this community, who know about me, about me, that say, boy, Kevin, Kevin, Something's different about him, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. That when I talk to him, it's a good thing. He, that church must have something good going on there because Kevin goes there. You see, that's what is the picture here. And let, let me be honest with you. That's not always true. That's not always true. Picture yourself. You're out shopping in the great city of Tehachapi. 
And you're out there and uh, you're in a particular store and you have a question about a particular product and uh, you find someone who works there and you call them over and you say, hey, I got a question for you. And they say, what do you want? You say, excuse me? I have a question. Uh, Could you hurry up? I'm I'm real busy. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you understand that I'm the customer? You know, and your, your blood pressure is a little bit elevated at this time, and you, you just lay into them. Do you understand? I could spend my money anywhere I wanted to. I might have to drive farther, but I could spend my money anywhere I wanted. And I came into the store so that I could be a customer of yours, and you're treating me, you're rude, and you, just, and you just lay into them. In fact, I need to speak to your manager. Where's your manager? And you pull the manager over there, and then you do it again. Reload. And this time you do a lot better because you practiced the first time. And you just lay into them. And, and you're like, yeah, nobody's going to get that. I needed to teach that young person about what it is, to, the dollar, and the all, you know, that I could go anywhere, that I'm the boss because I, you know, I have money and I'm going to purchase. I, I needed to teach them. You feel really proud of yourself. And then you come to church on Sunday. And you come into church and you're, you're happy to see everybody. You don't, you're not even thinking of the incident. And that worker walks into the church. And you, you don't really recognize them, but you vaguely, they look familiar. They look familiar. And you go, hey, nice to meet you. And you go, oh, you look really familiar. Yeah, I work at that store. We had that conversation, remember? Yikes. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, I, I wasn't following any of you around this week. I wasn't following any of you around. I wasn't uh, in any of the stores locally here, and I heard you do this. I, I've been that guy. I've been that guy of forgetting, forgetting who I was, forgetting what matters, for speaking words that did not come from the gospel of Jesus Christ, but speaking words that came from the flesh of Kevin Bosler. What's it going to look like? How's this going to work? As you think about what it would look like if you spoke, if you spoke graciously uh, as you were out in the community, especially in regards to these outsiders, what would it look like? Well, let me tell you, forgiveness should come out of your mouth. Forgiveness should come out of your mouth. There should be this quickness about you to forgive. The, the idea that as you are talking with workers and co-workers and people who work at the store, the people who serve your food, the people that are, you know, the great mayors and, you know, people, the dignitaries, as you talk to them, there should be forgiveness in your voice. It should come out of your mouth. Why? Because forgiveness has already gone on inside of you as Jesus has extended it to you. You should have forgiveness. It should come out of your mouth. Guess what? Healing should come out of your mouth too. Healing. There should be a sense as you talk with one another, even if people don't understand, there should be a sense of you want to heal them with your words as opposed to hurt them, right? Some of us feel really good. We feel really good pointing out other people's faults. You blew it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I just wanted to point it out so you wouldn't do it again. You messed up. You, hey, everybody, did you see this right here? I, w- I don't want you ever to forget it because I don't want you to do it again. I want to tell you that uh, we've gone the wrong way over and over again, haven't we? That our life, especially B.C., wasn't marked by all these great decisions. It was marked by a need for healing. And as Jesus has healed our hearts, that that same attitude of healing should be in our words as well. Not looking to slice and dice people, but to come and to comfort them. Words of healing should come out of our mouth. You know what also should come out of our mouth? Words of peace. I'm not talking about peace on this earth. This earth isn't going to get it, okay? That's just, you know... I always think uh, I always think it's interesting. I'm, I'm not that old. I'm 42. I probably look a lot older, but um, it's interesting. I don't really follow politics, but I kind of follow politics. And um, 
Ever since I can remember, they've been working on the Middle East peace process. Okay? Uh, when are they going to get that done, by the way? You know, when's the right treaty? And they're building homes over here, and then they move it. And these people move into this neighborhood. They get kicked out. There's a bomb going off and going on. Well, what's the deal over there? How come they just can't all get along? I'll tell you. Because peace does not happen in a boardroom or in the United Nations or any place else. It's not about a political process. It's not about treaties that are signed. Peace comes when you come to know Jesus Christ. That what he does in hearts of people, that brings about peace. And there's always this uh, uneasy struggling when when you don't know Jesus because you're wondering, how am I going to deal with this person or how am I going to deal with this? And it comes from an insecurity of our own souls not being right with God. And yet when we are right with Him, when we've been forgiven, not because of what we have done, peace comes to us. And guess what? Peace should come from us as well. That there should be a sense when people talk to us that they realize you know, they're peaceful for some reason. And the world can be chaotic and things can be going on. But why are they speaking words of peace? Why are they kind and gracious? Why is that? Because something's going on inside of them. It's not of themselves. It's from Jesus. You know, there's something else that should come out of our mouth is joy. Joy. Uh, that there should be a sense of joyfulness when people interact with us. And it's not a forced joy that, you know, um, that, that we're making stuff up. You know about people like that, right? Uh, that they just make stuff up. I'm so happy today. No, you're not. You're fake is what you are. But when I talk about joy, there should be a sense of the joy of the gospel. That there should be a sense of, there's a perspective that happens when you know that your soul is saved by him. There's a lot of bad things that are going on. Do do you know that? And they're not just bad things going on in the world and in our country. There's a lot of bad things that sometimes are going on in your own family, home, heart. And so someone says, oh, how are you doing today? Oh, terrible. Thanks for asking. You know, in fact, can I go down the whole list of all the bad things that are going on in my life right now? Do you have an hour or two for me to tell you all these things? And, and in fact, you know, there's nothing good going on in my life right now. And we just unload this complaining and this burdensome. And, and, and after we're done talking to some people, we're like, they're like, ew. Man, I, I was feeling pretty good until I talked to them. And now I feel awful. Or maybe I feel great that I'm just not like them, right? Remember, we're a commercial, right? You know Jesus Christ here today. I don't think you need to put on any show or anything. Think about how great it is that you know him. Think about how free you feel because of the gospel. Not free that, that everything's right and your health and your finances and your, uh, you know, your kids aren't all you know, the, the halos of angels. You know, they, they don't wear those around the house. It's not all that stuff. It's not that your job's always perfect and that you even have a job. It's none of those things. Joy comes from a relationship with Him. It's not something, and, and as we, it's not something that we do. It's something that as we share and put into perspective what Jesus has done, joy should come out of our mouths. You know what else? Life should come out of our mouths. Life. There should be a zeal for living that is different than before you knew Christ. You know why? Because everyone lives. Everyone lives. They're born, they, they, they're born and they all kind of look the same. They're, they're babies. Every baby looks the same, right? I was just kidding. Your baby's always the cutest and always the smartest. Yeah, I think they're smiling. They're only a week old. I know they smiled at me. You know, now they're talking. Did you hear them say that? They said, Mama. You know, uh, we, we think about those things and sometimes, but all, all, all kids are about the same. And as they grow up, they're all about the same. And there's this sense of that everyone kind of, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this, that the Bible tells us about something that's going on in the heart, something that's going on inside of us, in our soul and who we are as a person. 
the book of Ephesians as well as Colossians, it talks about deadness in our sins. Deadness in our sins. But because of what Jesus did, because of us having that applied to our account, guess what? There's life. There's life. And as we talk, as we interact with people, even if it's someone in line, even if it's a coworker that we just have to interact with, and just, there should be a sense of life that comes out of our mouth. Lastly, um, and there could be others too. I, I just jotted down a quick list of things that we get with the gospel, and there are more. But how about eternity, a sense of eternity? <laughs> We struggle with this, and uh, I struggle with this. A sense of eternity. That when we interact, and as we consider our day, and as we walk and go about things, there's a sense of eternity. Um, you know, we, we always talk about being stressed out. Being stressed out. Oh, I'm so stressed out. And, I, you know, as a pastor, I always say, so, so you know, what, what are you so stressed out? Oh, I got a lot of things to do today. Well, what are they? What, you, they must be really important and everything. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. Well, well what do you got to get done today? I got to get my oil changed, and I don't know how I'm going to get it done. Well, I'm so stressed out. I think you can get it done tomorrow. Yeah, but, you know, and there's a sense of us filling up our days with things that, that we say stress us out and we, we talk with one another and we say, oh, I'm so stressed out. And, and yet the things that we are piling and ruining our day have no sense of eternity. No sense of because God has taken care of our eternity that none of the things of this life really have this eternal consequence that we should ruin the joy of the day. There should be a sense of eternity in our mouths as we share. This is what our speech should be marked by. This is one other thing to describe this kind of gracious speech. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. Now what does that mean? It's kind of, we have a struggle. I'll, I'll admit there's a uh, biblical struggle here on what that means to be seasoned with salt. In uh, biblical times, there wasn't the sense of refrigeration, so they used salt. At, it was very valuable uh, to preserve meat. They salted it, and uh, there was a sense of preservation that would happen because of the salt. The second thing is more our culture today. We use salt uh, when the meal's not that good, right? And we say, oh, hand me the salt shaker. And depending on how bad the meal is, it depends on how much salt we put on it, right? There's a sense of, we try, oh, more, <laughs> right? There's a sense of salt being a, a, a taste to it. I want to tell you, I don't know, uh, you know, I've gone over these things over and over again, and I think that they both have some validity to it. But I want you to, I, I, I want you to know this one thing. If you step back another step and maybe ask this question, what happens when something comes in contact with salt? It is changed. It is changed. Is there anybody you know that cooks with too much salt that you know of? Okay, raise your hand if you know that person. Uh, I know some of those people too. There's some of our own family, and I will not point out them right now. But um, there's a sense in which uh, you eat a meal, and when there's too much salt in it, do you know? Do you know? Have you ever had that meal where I, I remember um, I was, mom was away, mom was away, and I, w I was cooking, and I like to cook, and so uh, it was around the corned beef holiday, you know, that one, and uh, so I bought some corned beef, and I, I cooked this corned beef, and it smelled up the whole house, it was glorious, it was like incense flowing, you know, they should make corned beef candles, you know, uh, <laughs> But uh, it was just beautiful. It was great. And so we had a great meal of corned beef and there were some leftovers. And so I had this great idea to have corned beef hash. And I'd never made it before, to be honest. So I got potatoes out and I got this corned beef. And I was making these potatoes and I said, you know, I tasted them and they're just not salty enough. And so I just started, you know, and I tried them again, not salty enough. And then by the time I mixed 
the salty potatoes with the salty corned beef, it was like, wow, wow. It was like, oh, I can barely choke this down. It's so salty. And I want to get this point across to you. I want to get this point across to you. Salt impacted my meal. It impacted it. There was a sense of change that went about. And the point of this passage is this, is this, that our interactions, our interactions are meant to have impact. And, and how are we to make this impact? Look at it. How are we to make the impact? We're being loud and obnoxious. We're being rough. I'm not, not allowing anyone to get the better of us, of, you know, of grabbing people by the throat and saying, you will never do this to me again. No, this huge impact, this salty sort of speech is meant to be gracious. That it's an overwhelming sense of like, wow, gracious. Those people were kind to me. They spoke to me in a different way. And why? Because the gospel came through in what they said. This morning, uh, as we look at this, uh, our words are to impact and change. I want you to get this last point. Um, as you look at verse 6, it ends up, and he says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All this is, is allowing our relationship to Christ to dictate how our conversations go, what comes out of our mouth, how that change from the inside comes out through the words that we say. So, so what I get from this is, as I look at this, um, he, he says... He says, so that we would know how we ought to answer, that there's a sense which it's important to know how you should speak to one another. So what that tells me is that our conversation, our speaking matters. It matters. It matters. And there's a reason why it matters. Because of each person, each person. It always blows me away. Um, that I've been that guy in the store. I've been that person who looks at someone and says, you're lesser than I am. I'm going to treat you as ever, however I want to treat you. It's hard for me to remember, as the scripture teaches, that there is a person, there's a person that stands in front of me. If I'm speaking to someone, they're a person. And what that means, as I look throughout the scripture, that we were created and we're not just created like Shamu, right? That it says in the book of Genesis that we were created in the image and likeness of God. That, that we are His special creation. And so that we are His special creation, as you interact with people, it's very important for you to remember that they're a person and that they are equally as important in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter what they are doing. It matters how you view them. And as he calls us, he calls us for gracious speech that we would treat them in such a way that it would reflect our view of them and the change that Jesus has brought into our heart. I want to give you three points to remember this morning. Um, first one is this, that the gospel is most important. The gospel is most important. As you think about uh, your day and you're running around and you're getting to where you need to go and whatever, there's a sense in which uh, most of us are focused on a, a, a goal line today. I have my list of 10 things I need to do. And so I'm rushing around between these things trying to get it done. I want to tell you that the most important thing that you would do today is when you speak to anyone, anyone, and particularly to those outside the family of God, that the gospel is what's most important. The gospel is most important. Secondly, secondly, I want to tell you this. Communication is less important than grace. Communication is less important than grace. Uh, I just can speak for myself. A lot of times I mumble. I say, yeah, yeah. And if someone says, excuse me, I'll say, oh, um, clearly I will articulate what I said. 
And if they still don't get it, then my blood pressure starts cranking up a little bit. And I say, let me say it more clearly and with passion, okay? This is what I want. If they still don't get it, I become more animated. And you know why? Because for me to be understood is super important to me. Super important to me. And if you're so dense that you're not going to get it the first time, I'm going to repeat myself over and over. Because this is good communication. Okay? I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. As I read through this scripture, as I see the life of Christ, communication takes a back seat to grace. To grace. It's more important for you to be gracious than for you to be understood. And for you to argue your way or to to get that place or to convince someone. Grace is more important. I wish we could remember that. I wish I could remember that. In the heats of the battle of me getting my selfishness stepped on by your selfishness and the selfishness of the people of, of this world, that I could remember that grace is more important than my clarity of my communication. Lastly, I want to tell you this, that that our days and our words matter, every one of them. Our days and our words matter. There's not a sense of, hey, I'm only out here shopping. Hey, I'm only hanging out. Hey, I'm only hanging out at the pool. Hey, I'm only talking uh, to the people that I work with. There's no sense of these things aren't important because as we have trusted in Christ, all days are important because he's using them as part of his plan. Let's pray uh, that God would grant us the strength to be these gracious speakers that he calls us to be. God, thank you for the opportunity of being before your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us now. I pray that you would help us remember this in the midst of our days. God, you've said in your word that he who lacks wisdom should ask you and that you'll be generous with us in giving it. And so we ask for your wisdom to know how to step and how to walk and in a way that uh, would honor you. God, I pray that you continue to change us by the gospel. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.